0: In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash the writer files. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime that's patreon.com slash the writer files. Help us start something special.
1: I collect country Western records. Like I love country Western and I collect old country, not new country Western, but old country Western. And I have a whole big, um, uh, library of old country western records, and mm-hmm. some of the best ones are from the the Grizzly Rose. And uh, there's a live Willie Nelson album from the Grizzly Rose that, if you listen to, oh. I swear to God, if you cannot cry after you listen to it, <laughs> <laughs> I've had friends who've come over and they're like, okay. I bet you will cry when you listen to this. They're like, whatever, yeah, whatever. And then afterwards, they're getting all <laughs> teary-eyed. I'm like, guys, I told you, like you cannot listen to this Willie Nelson and the Grizzly Rose, this live album, and not cry.
0: Greetings scribes and welcome back to The Writer Files. I'm your humble host, Kelton Reed, wishing you prolificness, prosperity, and peace of mind per usual. Critically acclaimed novelist, short story writer, and educator Eric Rashke stopped by this week to talk about coming of age in Denver, Colorado, how the beat generation influenced his writing, and why your children consume you. Eric's a native to Denver, Colorado, and admittedly one of my oldest friends. He became a dual Dutch and American citizen in 2013, teaches writing at the University of Amsterdam, and is a certified New York public school teacher. His first novel, The Book of Samuel, was translated into Italian and nominated for the Prince Award. His short story, Winch, was also nominated for the 2018 Best American Short Stories. His latest is To the Mountain, a novel described as an absorbing tale of sacrifice, hope, and the bond between father and son. New York Times bestselling author Margaret Cole called the book, a deeply affecting tale of a father's love for his autistic son. Eric's short stories and essays have been published in the Atlantic Monthly, the New York Times Magazine, Hazlitt, Georgia Review, Guernica, and many others. In this file, Eric and I discussed the European rockabilly facsimile that made him cry, Denver and Ken Kesey's impact on his writing, why he extensively studied the history of disability for his latest novel, how grad school teaches you to write nice sentences but not great stories, and much more. Then at the break, I've got a podcast preview from this week's sponsor, Look Closer, the Found Fiction Podcast. You can learn more about that fantastic show at foundfiction.org. Stay calm and write on. And if you're a fan of the writer files, please click subscribe to automatically see new interviews as soon as they're published. And leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts to help other writers find us. And welcome back to the Writer Files. I am honored today to be joined by my longtime friend and author, the critically acclaimed Dutch novelist, Eric Raschke. What the heck is going on, sir?
1: Hey, brother. <laughs>
0: that was, <laughs> is that too long of an intro or?
1: Dutch novelist <laughs> but there's so oh many you're American
0: <laughs> I thought you were Dutch
1: there's so many things in awkward. that introduction that are just wrong like, oh, I, like I've like i known you since you were like three months old like <laughs> long time friend we know, go way back we go back to like we were three months old man
0: <laughs> true so um, yeah okay so we'll just wind the clock back here a little bit on our relationship I have known Eric since I was zero years old. <laughs> our, our our parents, uh, we were talking a little bit about this in the green room, um, were uh, in academia on the campus of De- uh, DU, Denver University, and ILIF, which is a school of theology there, here uh, right down the street from me now. But uh, yeah, they were in a in a babysitting co-op together. So Eric and I literally have known each other since we were toddlers
1: and we have we have videos early videos of you pushing me off the tricycle
0: <laughs> well we have early videos um like super eight videos of eric making me drink from a hose between his legs which is i just very... want to
1: say you have this silky smooth voice but you were aggressive you were really aggressive <laughs> to me when we were two
0: <laughs> you pushed me into a stream bed if i don't if i if i recall you pushed me into a stream bed on a on a snowy day and your dad had to get me out on, on a big Yeah, but big listen wheel. to my
1: voice, listen to your voice. I mean it says they're all right there. You're covering it all up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Wait. Um I was at Eric's ninth birthday party and uh, I think we had. I think you got the thriller album and we, we listened. Sure did. We listened to Michael Jackson's thriller. Like on repeat, two very white kids, um, dancing awkwardly.
1: (laughs) I still do that. (laughs) Yeah. You still put on
0: thriller. Okay. Um, I have
1: a little picture of you right there. I have a picture of us. What what was that picture? That gray, black and white picture of you sitting, of us sitting in a tree. Like mm. you're sitting next to me in a tree and I'm sitting right below you and we're both smiling. And I think like two minutes later you kicked me off and I fall out of the tree.
0: I don't remember any of this. By the way, I think you have it backwards. Um, well, uh, Eric is a Denver native and actually a dual citizen of both um, ne- the Netherlands and America.
1: That's right.
0: It's an interesting story, but we'll get into that because um, we're going to kind of we're going to get into your superhero origin story here in a minute. But yeah, okay. So being a Denver native um, and having gone to high school here in Denver, I want to. Yeah, kinda get your hot take. Cause I, I saw you maybe a year ago when you were here last. Um, I want to get your take on how you feel about how Denver has changed. Oh. But yeah, okay. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna name I'm gonna name some Denver landmarks and I want to just get some hot takes on any impressions or memories that you have from some of these places. Okay. First of oh, all, I love this.
1: Okay, yeah. Yeah.
0: First of all, I'm just gonna go with the classic tattered cover bookstore go.
1: Okay. Tattered cover, great. I mean, they said to me, like my publisher, they said, uh, "When you, where do you want to have uh, a reading?" I was like, "Tattered cover, hands down." Um, Like when my first book came out, like what nine, ten years ago, the book of Samuel, I had done the whole book tour, and then I, I, I was, I had the questions down, I had the the answers down, and I come to the tattered cover to do my my book tour, and I look out and I see everybody from high school. And then Mm -hmm. I see right in the front row my high school English teacher just with his arms crossed just giving me (laughs) this look (laughs) and I was like my God I'm like back I'm back in high school again like you know and then but it was great because I'm like I'm I'm like this is I've made it I'm you know I'm in the Tattered Cover in Denver which is the place that I used to go and spend hours in as a kid growing up I would go there and just hang out and just sit in the chairs and the couches and just read books because I didn't have any money, you know? And so you just read books and you would see who was the big author and who wasn't. And, and yeah, it's, it's, I, I love it. And then I saw that recently there was some weird controversial thing with it too. Like, and you know, and I, I don't know, but I love it, but my book launch was at the book bar too, which was, which is, I also think is, you know, really great too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've never mm-hmm. been there, but I got to see that. But, but these landmarks, I like, I love how Colorado and Denver, it's such a big reader's place, mm-hmm. you know, it's people read in the Rockies Yeah, and that just, yeah. So.
0: Well, here's an interesting fact about tire cover. So you were in the Lodo, um, tire cover, which is the historic kind of lo- the one with the couches and the, you know, kind of, yeah, uh, yeah yeah. it's got this very, very interesting vibe down there right across from Union Station. Um, it's kind of haunted a little bit, I think. But, um, yeah, so, so here's another factoid about Tattered Cover, uh, moved that Cherry Creek, that big Cherry Creek, um, store, which was like a multi-storied thing, which was just a really kind of a joy to go into, um, kind of felt like pals in Portland, but, um, they moved that big one into Bonfee's theater. Do you remember Bonfee's theater across from the high school?
1: Yeah, of course. Yeah, wow. I didn't know that.
0: Yeah. So now the ta- that tattered cover is in Bonfie's. So so I can go in there, hang out in the Loge or whatever, and uh, relive the days when you and I used to go and see like some community theater troupe or something, <laughs> yeah. um, which was always super. Like I, I never got it. Like I never I never really understood mimes or like the circus or like that community theater troupe. But I do remember hanging out at Bonfie's with you.
1: Yeah. Totally. I, okay. I, re- I remember that. And, and you know what's so weird, too, like, also, you know, growing up, is that Denver has all these landmarks like the Bonfais Theater. Like, they were all created by these, the, the Bonfi sisters. Do you know the hmm. story about the Bonfi huh? sisters,
0: though? I don't remember. I
1: think I'm, I might be mixing this up. So if there's any historians in your audience, then I, I apologize. Tons, tons I, of historians. I, I'm not an expert. But they <laughs> were two sisters that had a ton of money, and they both had tuberculosis. Because, you know, Denver got all its money from tuberculosis, not from gold or, or from mining, which everybody thinks, but from tuberculosis, because all these rich people moved to, to, to Denver cause they had tuberculosis and they, the climate was dry and the bond fees for two sisters who had all this money. And so they would compete with each other hmm. to, to spend and please fact check this afterwards, but like they, <laughs> no. they they would compete with each other to, to spend this, this trust or sort of trust fund that they had. Mm-hmm. And they, they bought all this stuff all around the city, like competing with each other. And, Amazing. and, they, but anyways, that has nothing to do with
0: what we're talking about, but yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, I'm going to go one more, uh, Denver Diner.
1: Oh, dude, Denver Diner. Jesus. Well, yeah. I mean, me and you. I mean, <laughs>
0: how,
1: how many nights did we spend there in the Denver Diner, just yeah. sort of trying to sober up? I,
0: icon, it's an iconic <laughs> diner. It kind of had that very, um, you know, what's that? What's that painting with where, the, where the people are sitting in the diner late at night with the bright lights, and yeah, it was open all night. Um, we'd end up there often in the morning eating. God knows what
1: Denver burritos.
0: Yep, breakfast burritos, two in the morning, the best. Uh, no longer, it's no longer with us. Uh, they shut their doors this year due to COVID. Yeah, yeah.
1: I guess I vaguely heard about that. Yeah, why? Yeah. Because of COVID?
0: Yeah, just right. They couldn't keep the doors open.
1: Was it just the fine dining?
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, truly a fine dining establishment, the Denver Diner. You you would wait in line for like the worst. Um, I'd say, like, you know, the worst <laughs> biscuits and gravy you've ever. But at two in the morning, after a few cocktails, you're like, oh, that sounds like a good idea, man.
1: Yeah, of course. Everything good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, Denver Diner, no, no longer with us. RIP Denver Diner. I'm going to go uh, over to El Chapultepec.
1: Yeah, that closed too this year, huh?
0: Yeah, it did. I just heard
1: about that. Yeah. I'm
0: making the sign across. Let's, let's tell tell listeners what El Chapultepec stands it for. It was
1: it was a, it was an awesome jazz club, like yeah, the, classic the part of town. Yeah, like it was. You know what used to be great about it? it was that you could go there and get away from the yuppies. But I don't think like after a while you could you could do that. But like it used to be like you could go there and you could just have that <laughs> like authentic Denver experience. You know, you could just sort of skip out of Lodo and you'd be like yeah. okay great now. But then it sort of Lodo sort of sucked it up and and uh, but yeah, I mean. Like the thing I love about Denver, and I, I, I love growing up about Denver. Like the, I would never want to grow up anywhere else. Like Denver was just the best place to grow up, especially for a writer, because because mm-hmm. you had all the the people who didn't fit anywhere in the Rocky Mountains in the small Rocky Mountain towns, and they would come into Denver, and you know you had these, you know all these like cowboys and drug addicts and stuff like that, and mm-hmm. and 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 all these weird people on Colfax, and like ultimately it was like there was these people who were determined, like, I guess like maybe like the Bonfeast sisters, like I was saying, they were determined to bring culture. They were like, we're going to bring culture here, you know? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then you would have all these like complete fuck ups from all around the Rocky mountains from their small towns, you know, and, and they would just come into Denver and they didn't know culture, but they were there and they, you know, and, and, and they had their cowboy outfits and they would go to places like that. And you would walk in and you know, there was great jazz, these great mm-hmm. jazz musicians And then you just have all, you look around you'd be like, wow, what a bunch, what a crew, like Mm -hmm. sitting here watching this amazing jazz.
0: Dressed up, dressed to the nines, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Yeah,
1: exactly. And they're like, you know, they're tassels and cowboy boots and stuff like that, you know? And it was just that, that mix, like you can't, you can't, you can't buy that. Like it was amazing. Like as a kid growing up and experiencing that, you know? So yeah. I love it.
0: Yeah. Yeah truly a uh, kind of one of the original beat hangouts um so let's go to uh kind of the opposite feeling lion's lair
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh Lion, lion's lair oh my god they had really bad gin and tonics um
0: <laughs> lion's lair was uh <laughs> it's been, actually i didn't know this but had had uh has been around since the 20s yeah, and it have, um I believe it. it was a I don't c- think it's also, been
1: clean since the 20s either <laughs>
0: <laughs> also a colfax you know like i think it's of late you know it probably was kind of the quintessential um rock you know rock and roll venue but it was like the smallest place on earth like it would just burst your eardrums um yeah. that it was so small but you know they they would they would get some really great bands in there but my lord um the place did have that perpetual mildewed kind of uh vomit smell and uh, it was just all part of the you know ambiance there
1: yeah it's it's funny when i was in amsterdam there was my friend was like hey do you know about rockabilly and i was like of course i know right <laughs> and he was like you want to go hear some rockabilly so we went to we went to we went to this very famous uh, Paradiso, which is this very famous club in Amsterdam, and we went to hear rockabilly. And I was sitting there with all these Dutch people, and they're like, "Oh, this is really cool, man! I really like this." You know, like, oh look, cool, oh, so 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 look? And they're like, they're like dancing to it. I'm like, you have no fucking idea. Like, you have no fucking idea. Like, what rockabilly is? So <laughs> like, this is just kind of funky and weird. These guys have big hair and they lots of tattoos.
0: And I was like, it's like a weird facsimile yeah. of rockabilly.
1: Like Rockabilly <laughs> is sitting in the lion's lair in that weird, like padded bar, you know, and then uh-huh. and then getting watered down gin and tonics, you know, worst, from some yeah. from some woman who was just like annoyed that you were even there. <laughs> and then and and listening to great Rockabilly where everybody's like, Yeah, this is our scene, you know? It's not <laughs> I mean, rockabilly is like, it encompasses so much of like what the West is about, you know, it's sort of, as you know, there's like LA, you can't go any farther than LA people in America, you know, the the thing is you start on the East coast and then you hit, by the time you hit LA, you can't go any farther. And that's where everybody just, it just ends, you know, and rockabilly (laughs) sort of just encompasses that. Like you can't, everybody's just trying to run away they can't get any farther, and they just ward up there and they just get depressed. And and Rockabilly just comes out like, oh, we get tattoos and put her hair really big and just, you know, and just drink a lot. And, and <laughs> I, I, it was, yeah, it, it almost made me cry being in Amsterdam and listening to Rockabilly because I'm like, God, this is <laughs> you, you don't get it, you just don't get it, like, you don't get what this is about, you know, like, this is. This is a core for me, so and the Lion's Lair, like the, the how many Rockabilly bands shows that I watch of the Lion's Lair, you know? So, yeah,
0: yeah. Um, and I think do you still have that, that Rockabilly uh hat to prove it, or um, we just have to, no,
1: play? no, no, uh, that, that, okay. <laughs> now, I, I you're talking, you're talking about my snakeskin leather hat, okay. No, no, <laughs> that, that, that
0: okay let's skip that, was that from
1: part New York. That, that oh was okay the, that was the guy who did uh um, <laughs> rob <laughs> zombies
0: wardrobe <laughs> <Rob> Zombie. <Yeah.
1: laughs> he's like hey man you want a hat i'm like yeah fuck it. I'll, I'll take a hat he's like you want a leather hat with a snake skin i'm like yeah <laughs> well who, who does not want a leather hat with snake skin i mean maybe i don't
0: i don't on have show. one but i do want one
1: <laughs> there's people on your show going i don't want that but yeah he that. You would see this hat and you'd be like, I want that hat. Like, but everybody wants it.
0: <laughs> okay. Uh, moving on. I got... You can edit that part out. Okay. This <laughs> this, is, this one um, is Deadbeat Club. <laughs> Sorry, talk to me.
1: Can we talk about our Deadbeat <laughs> Club experience? I mean,
0: you
1: know why were Why were there? we ever
0: at the Deadbeat Club?
1: Because it was terrible <laughs> and it was close. Location, location, location. It was like right next to us.
0: <laughs> I don't know. I think I just, I'll just i just, the short version is I think that we almost got shot in the parking lot. <laughs> you did. Not me, you. <laughs> <laughs> but why, but why I, I couldn't tell you. Um, they had
1: outside seating. That's why it was great. <laughs> and the weird little, brief little outside seating part—you go from one club to another, and you just go through the outside seating, and and then they had neon. Remember when they 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 oh, they, they, they updated the decor to neon? <laughs> like, oh, wow, you guys, you guys just got some spray can paints of neon. Just sort of look, look at us, man. We're sort of like <laughs> sort of bad
0: graffiti. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was <laughs> really beats,
1: beat street meets like I don't know Duran Duran. <laughs>
0: electric boogaloo <laughs> straight out of the 80s um yeah that place burned down yeah
1: it's good good riddance
0: okay um i'm gonna go to i got two more bear with me grizzly rose
1: God, okay so <laughs> i <laughs> You're you're a man of my own, my my heart. But well,
0: describe what the Grizzly Rose is first of all.
1: The Grizzly Rose is it's in it's in Morrison, right? Morrison, it's, it's right outside of Morrison. It's am I right? I mean, I th- I think I'm right, but yeah. You know, it's a country it's,
0: western venue. It's
1: a country western place where Willie Nelson lives next to, so he has like a lot of influence on it because he 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 lives there until he got caught for tax evasion and stuff like that, and then he had to move, but but he still has a house there and. And he would bring in all these like amazing acts like, you could go see everybody. And and um, it's really small, it's dirty, it's red, I think on the inside, and, and 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 the beers are cheap and it's it's oh it's it's I love it. It's it's like the opposite of the the last place you just talked about. It's just it's great. But on the other hand, I mean I collect country western records like i love country western and i collect old country not new country western but old country western and i have a whole big um uh, library of old country western records and Mm -hmm. some of the best ones are from the the grizzly rose and uh there's a live willie nelson album from the grizzly rose that if you listen to i swear to god if you cannot cry after you listen to it (laughs) (laughs) i've had friends who've come over and they're like okay I bet you won't. Cry. You 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 cannot cannot not cry. Can you you will cry when you listen to this? And like whatever, yeah. and then afterwards they're getting all <laughs> teary eyed. I'm like, yes, yeah, I told you. Like you cannot listen to this Willie Nelson in the Grizzly Rose this live album and not cry. It's it, it's just one of those perfect places where you know Denver people, Colorado people, and 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 the the best part about the I think the foothills of Colorado and Denver too is that when I was growing up and my dad lived up in the foothills and stuff is that you had all these people who couldn't fit in in Denver which says a lot you know and they're like I don't want to be in Denver it's too crazy for me and a lot of them were like Vietnam vets or people who just burn out on acid or just like people who had seen a lot and done a lot and they just wanted to go live in their house in the mountains and they were some of the like, my whole childhood is filled with meeting these kind of people. And, <laughs> yeah. Really, oh, no, I know. Just, yeah. I know you know. Like, they're just, like, like, total burnouts. And and they would go to the Grizzly Rose. And then they would sit around and they'd listen to Willie Nelson, you know, singing Blue Eyes Crying in the Rain. And they would just sort of melt, you know. And you you there, there's, there's something beautiful where you see a song. And Willie Nelson would always, of course, mix it up in different kinds of ways and, and music and stuff like that. But it, it, it's the lyrics, you know, mm. I think that, that that you see the, the, the power of, of, of language and words through that, where you see these people who are just like, I can't deal with life. And I'm going to put these walls around me and live in a house in the, the foothills. And then they hear Willie Nelson and they're just fucking tears coming down their face, you know, <laughs> and it, 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 it's it, it, there's nothing better than that know it's it's it's, a, it's amazing so
0: well you might be surprised to know that the grizzly rose is kind of north of uh the national western stock show uh complex there kind of right off i-25 so i don't know if it yeah. changed venues um but of course that area is pretty so you
1: know, it's not in burson anymore it's in, De- in denver now
0: yeah well it's it's i don't know if it's in globeville or close to globeville but it's yeah it's just north of the national De- uh Excuse me, National Western Stock Show Complex, which is really close to the I-70, I-25 confluence there. uh, But it's a huge venue as far as I know. But they are now closed uh, due to multiple health department infractions (laughs) for (laughs) violating COVID-19.
1: Voluntarily, though, wasn't it? Was it voluntarily?
0: Voluntarily closed. No, they were no, they were closed by the health department, as far as I know. <laughs> uh, anyway, but moving on. Uh, the final, it, I'm gonna sh- drop this one for you. My brother's bar there uh, on Platt. Uh, remember hanging out with me at actually the the uh, the the Platt. Oh, what was that? What Was that weird little coffee shop, artsy coffee shop bar we used to hang out? At? The Platt. Oh, was
1: something on the Platt. Something. P- Paris, Paris. Paris on Paris the Platt. On the Platt. <laughs> oh
0: God, what a great name for a cafe. <laughs> Paris on the Platt.
1: Which after living in europe for 13 years and going to paris regularly i know i'm just <laughs> dropping that but it's like, it has a whole new beautiful like ring to it paris on the Platte. like I, it's like the irony is just it's it's beautiful like there's there's something wonderful about that
0: <laughs> paris on the plat has been replaced uh and i did i did actually get a chance to hang out there before they closed, and they had you know they'd given it a face lift and all that stuff but that place is gone um my brother's bar Let's talk about my brother's bar.
1: Yeah. Okay. So, growing up in Denver when I was growing up, <laughs> like in the eighties, was like it, it. It 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 was still very much backwater and stuff like that. And and I've always known that I wanted to be a writer. Like I've always really wanted to be a writer. And and there's not a whole lot of cultural outposts in Denver when I was in the eighties. You know, um, people moved to Denver cause they wanted to get away from big cities at the time. And I was like, <laughs> Oh, you know, I want to be cultured. I want to be a writer and I want to, you know, I want to talk, I want to quote Shakespeare and stuff that you go to Paris on the pot. But the, my brother's bar is my dad is a, is a professor, is a philosophy professor. And he had this really good friend of his who, who, uh, worked for newsweek and for time. And, um, he was kind of a hero to me at the time because he wrote articles in Time magazine and newsweek and uh and and so I would just like he would come over and he'd smoke cigarettes and get drunk and just you know just talk shit. and I would literally everything every word he would say, I would go like I'd go back and I'm like, okay, that's that's amazing like he would he'd talk <laughs> shit about Arafat, you know like, like <laughs> and then he hung out in my brother's bar all the time of he was he always did. there. Yeah, and he was like, "Yeah, you know, I got a fight with the Denver Post editor, the motherfucker, you know." blah. And I was like, "Wow, you got a fight with him? Like, those it, it, it was like Hunter S. Thompson, but like in front of me, you know." And then also like abusive, and then you know, told me to. It's like, "Cow, yeah, I'll go get you." He's like, "Give me a beer," and I'm like, "Cow, yeah, of course, you know." <laughs> <Get me." laughs> so it was, it was, it was a, yeah. My brother's bar was this establishment where like the the real writers. The Hunter S. Thompson sort of of of, of Colorado uh, would go and um, and sure. I remember going there later after I was in college and it was a much more staid and quiet. But when I was younger, I always imagined it as you know like the place where everybody got in fights and argued and talked about politics and stuff like that. And and I went there a few times when I was younger too, and it, it was just always yeah. It's just it's one of those. Sort of outposts of of culture mm-hmm. in Denver, growing up, that you would just sort of hold on to, like, yes, but I have this, you know, we have this. It's, you know, what I'm saying. Sure. Like,
0: well, it's an iconic landmark where also some of the beat writers hung out, and uh, Jack yeah. Kerouac, for instance. And uh, yeah, it's just kind of one of those one of those Denver uh, landmarks, and it is still open. They are open for dine-in, pickup, and delivery. So get a, a clear winner
1: is that, is that a plug
0: <laughs> and i'll, no, drop, you know, I'll drop their link into the show notes lionsler <laughs> we is top. still yeah lionsler is still open by the way but they have a uh go me i think to help them to keep out of chapter 11 so <laughs> but you
1: know what going, going back to the to i mean i don't know if you were going to touch on this again but like the whole jack kerouac neil Gassity yeah thing
0: yeah you know?
1: i mean you have to sort of like talk about that. I mean, I have a love hate relationship with, with, uh, with on the road and, and, and that whole crew. It's kind of like how I feel about Mariah Carey's Christmas album. You know, it's like, you know, you love it. Like it, it touches you. <laughs> it has that, that beautiful sort of you're reading you're like, Oh God, I get it. Like, it's just, I want to listen to it. You know, I want to go back and, and I want to read on the road and, and and but then on the other hand I'm like God, it's so fucking terrible those people like like if I ever ran into them like I, I don't know what I would do like Neil Neil Cassidy like uh, I'm saying it right Neil Cassidy he's yeah. he just he was like he's awesome and there's that place what's that bar on Broadway where his they have his name engraved on the bar. It's like hmm. it's like Lions Lair, but it's not Lions Lair. But oh it has yeah,
0: it's another dive bar on Colfax, right? I think it's on Broadway, but maybe is it it's on Broadway. On Broadway. Oh, it might be on I Broadway. He,
1: he graved his name into the bar, and they have it like all packed and stuff like that, you know. And I would I'll sit there. Out. There was many times that I sat there drinking water down gin and tonics, looking at that signature, thinking like, "What is this? Like, who is Neil Cassidy? Like, what? You know, he's influenced literature." far beyond like you know so many other great writers and and he wasn't a good he wasn't a good writer he wasn't a writer at all (laughs) no he He did write. he did oh yeah but he he was i guess he was just charismatic though like i mean i have come because my my wife works in television she works with like presenters who are charismatic i have come to appreciate charisma like charisma is something that's it blows you out. Like when someone has a lot of charisma and you beat them, you like, I'm not saying anything to do. I know it sounds kind of pedantic what I'm saying, but like when you meet someone who has charisma, it blows you away. And I feel like he's, he was just one of the first people in Denver who just had this charisma, obviously that just, you know, attracted everybody around him. But in the end there was nothing there. There was no sort of like, you know, uh, there was no inner, inner thing to sort of, to to really bring out, it was, you know, it was on the road that, that made him into, that elevated him into something that was more than just his charisma. But, but I would spend hours just looking at that thinking Like this is what so much of Denver is about. And I still, I don't think I still have really gotten it per se, like what Denver is, but Neil Cassidy and that charisma, that empty charisma, and there is something about that that really is attractive to me. And once once I sort of peel that away, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll let you know.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was a very specific time in history, and um, it was kind of the, you know, they were the forefathers of the kind of the hippie generation. And Cassidy, he bridged the kind of the two worlds by hanging out with Jack Kerouac, who at the time, you know, became an overnight success with on the road. And then he was happened to be the main character, but then he also hung out with Ken Kesey and the Mary Pranksters and traveled around the world, traveled around, sorry, traveled around the the country in the, uh, the further bus. So he was kind of like the poster child of both the beat generation. You know, I mean, he, he hung out with fucking Burroughs, you know, he did, yeah. he did heroin with Burroughs and then he turned around and did acid with Kesey. And, uh, yeah, maybe we should talk about writing.
1: <laughs> well, you know, to, to be honest, like it, like um, Ken Kesey was actually one of the. I mean, Wallace Stegner, of course, but um, Ken Kesey was one of the first sort of writers that I was i I connected with that whole beat thing, where I was like, oh, I like this, mm-hmm. you know, like I I do like this. Like Ken Kesey, I read him through and through, and yeah, I Ken Kesey had had a had a really incredible effect on me in terms of like the irony and the, I mean, Ken Kesey grew up, you know, in, in, on the West coast. And, but he had that, he had that amazing eye to sort of look at what the West is, you know, this sort of Mm -hmm. uh, amalgam of, of miners and loggers and, and people who just didn't fit in anywhere else. And they just sort of, you know, migrated to the, the, the beauty of the West. And, and he captured all that, you know, and, I mean, One floor is Cuckoo's Nest is, is a little bit complicated for me because, as I, you know, I, I was reading the whole history of disability for a long time because I've been working on a book for my, like, uh, about, the, the book is called What Will You Do When I'm Gone? And it's a nonfiction book about, like, all the different ways that people are trying to help their children that are disabled that can't live independently, but also help them have a full life. Hmm. Outside of independence. And one fluoros cuckoo's nest sort of, you know, brought down the whole idea of institution and um and and sort of set that whole tone of institutions are bad. But up until that point, before institutions, like there was there was nothing like you know, people people were really struggling. They were in jail and they were, you know, beaten and abused. And institutions came along and they actually made a lot of people's lives much better. And then when they closed down all the institutions, um, they put everybody on the street. There was no money to replace it. So that's why, like, you have so many people who are mentally disabled on the street because the institutions closed because of Ken Kesey. Well, not because of Ken per se, but because of One flu Cuckoo's Nest and that movement to close down institutions. So Geraldo went to this thing and he was like, okay, he, uh, it was in New York where he went. I think it was New York, New York. It was upstate somewhere. And he's, you know, showed all these horrible conditions and those were terrible. But what happened is you had this univer- universal thing of shutting down the institutions because they're bad. But then there was no money to sort of replace that. And then you had all these people on the street or they're with their parents mm-hmm. or and that's where we are now. And I think now you're starting to see a movement towards like, OK, we have to get something back again. Where and it's a much more fragmented thing. and a lot of really interesting stuff is coming out of Silicon Valley and in uh, the West Coast, where they're coming up with these very alternative ways where people who can't be independent are living in ways where they are semi-independent, but with lots and lots of help, you know, and um all sorts of really creative different ways. Like, for example, like I'm constantly trying to with my son trying to find ways to, make him independent and um he can't read so um there's this there's this device that you can get where it'll read everything in front of you and it'll tell you who you're seeing and i just got an apple watch too and the apple watch reminds him because he can't read time so hmm. the apple watch reminds him what time it is and um, tells him when he has to do this and it just sort of vibrates on him and it constantly sort of keeps his focus. focused And I call, I I make a joke that I'm sort of turning him into a cyborg, but I feel (laughs) like that that's my sort of creative way of trying to help him become independent because I want him to be independent. I don't want him to be dependent on like, you know, healthcare workers or, Mm -hmm. you know, a group home or something like that. I want him to be as independent as possible and as safe as possible so that when I die, that he's, he's going, he's, he's free, you know, that he can, I don't have to worry. And I don't know if that's going to happen, but it is my goal and I think it's a lot of parents' calls too,
0: you know? It's interesting that, um, and, and yeah, you brought that full circle very nicely. <laughs> um, <laughs> but Ken Kesey, interestingly enough, kind of was the poster child for not only that kind of, uh, you know, the ethos of, like, the Johnny Cash, you know, the logging in Oregon. He was an Oregonian and, and you know, an all-American football-playing kid who became— um then became the poster child for the hippie movement, which is such a strange uh, combination of things. But yeah, Keezy was definitely kind of an enigma as a writer. And uh, yeah, probably had something to do with the LSD. But earlier in the show, I mentioned an invaluable resource for writers. Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories based on three decades of writing, failing, and trying again. Just head over to patreon.com slash the writer files for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, writer's happy hour, a community of your peers, ad free episodes and more. It's free to join to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash the writer files. Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and write
2: on creative ideas are waiting to be found all around us. Whether they're in the form of an old lady waiting alone at a bus stop... If she hadn't gasped, we wouldn't have stopped. ...raindrops racing each other down a window... And it's like pieces of a puzzle. Wow! ...or a tree growing through a barbed wire fence. I might take the same with me, actually. (laughs) ...uncover the creative processes of writers, poets and artists. I'm really driven by ideas. Quite a lot of my stuff does work around reflection. Learn more about them as human beings. I can tell them I want to be a superstar, a world-class artist, and they don't laugh at you. And get expert advice on how to become an artist yourself. Why does a story have to be one kind of long story, so yeah. into chapters? You've got to aim for the top. Be empowered with the vision to find inspiration in everyday places. Listen to Look Closer, the Found Fiction podcast. This is such a good practice should
0: all be doing this yeah i want to get back somehow bring it back to your fantastic book um your recent novel to the mountain and uh yeah i thought this quote by margaret cole was pretty cool because uh, i do know of margaret's work and she said it was a deeply affecting tale of a father's love for his autistic son Rashki's lyrical prose evokes both the awesome Wilderness of the Rocky Mountains in winter, and the unfathomable wilderness of the human heart. So let's talk about the book, man. Um, Congrats on the work. Uh, It is engrossing, engaging, and man, it's different than anything I've read of yours. Um, I want to talk about the process that went into this fantastic book and and how different that was for you, but also kind of the, you know, from your heart, like where this came from because i remember reading this fantastic atlantic piece by you in 2016 about um you know kind of your son's relationship with uh this playmobile doll and that was affecting to me i mean he was 10 at the time and um obviously uh yeah talk a little bit about your relationship with Cass, who i've spent some time with he's an amazing kid uh i got to see recently at your reading but yeah talk a little bit about kind of like where this came from
1: yeah i mean i mean you're i mean you're a dad now i mean you know that like your kids consume you everything about what you do and who you are for quite a bit of time in your life you know and then it starts to fade away and <clears throat> but when you have a when you have an autistic child it it doesn't just consume you for 10 15 years and then they you know they start hanging out with their friends and doing their own thing it, it you start thinking oh this is going to consume me and for the rest of my life and there's a lot of there's a lot of memoirs and a lot of books written about like from father son you know and and i read i've read a lot of them i mean i read them sort of very voraciously just to sort of see if there's something new and david mitchell you know cloud atlas and and stuff Mm -hmm. like that he has an autistic son and he said that none of them really resonated with him until he read uh the reason why i jump by the japanese i can't ever say his name um author. It was like a huge bestseller. And it was, it was one of the first sort of memoirs written from, besides Temple Grandin that was written by a, um, an autistic person. Hmm. And um, so John Stewart called this book, the the reason why I jumped the top of the Rasa, because so, I mean, you had Temple Grandin who, you know, is from Colorado too, by the way, and she, she's autistic and she, you know, made her, uh, she made autism known because she made cattle shoots. Do you know about Temple Grandin? Yeah, but sure. She,
0: I mean, I've seen the yeah. movie. Yeah, so she made <laughs> that know, cattle shoots. <laughs> yeah,
1: and she yeah. teaches it at, at Colorado State. And, and uh, she's like, when I read, when my son, like, I was like, everybody's like, oh, he can't go to school here. There's something wrong with him, and nobody knew what was wrong. We spent two years where nobody knew what was wrong with him, you know, and I think you know, after reading all these biographies a lot of parents go through this where they're like they do hearing tests they do vision tests and all this stuff and nobody knows what's wrong and then someone says maybe it's autism and and i read and when they suggested maybe it's autism i started reading everything about autism and i was like oh and 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 then i read temple grandin and i was like oh my god this is a fucking lifesaver you know like this woman like she's like i'm autistic this is how, i'm like this is this is guess, like this is guess in a, in a nutshell and then the reason why Jump came out, and it's by that Japanese boy, and, you know, the, it's it's basically a series of questions, like, why do you flap your hands in front of your face? And he's like, because the light hurts my eyes, and so when I flap my hands in front of my face, I can break up the light. Like, he answers these very basic, practical questions of why autistic kids do what they do. And from that point on, like, a lot of disability and autism advocates are like, you know what, parents should sort of move move the fuck out of the way you know like let people who are disabled sort of take the the reins and 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 guide the way the problem is that like like kess and stuff like that that you have a very small minority of 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 people are high functioning that can actually do that you know and you have a huge majority of of autistic people who can't read can't write can't communicate so it's easy to say that Um, but what I would like was why you saw with my reading, like I want Kest to be on my my readings with me and stuff like mm-hmm. that too, is because I want him a, a sort of a middle functioning autistic person to take be able to take responsibility. So the high functioning people, you know, aren't the ones you know leading the show all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's there's a lot going on. But when as as I was reading books, um, I was like, okay there's a father-son, there's a mother, the mother-child, you know, there's all these biographies and, and fiction, you know, there's the, you know, Rain Man, at least Rain Man was written by, you know, a guy whose brother uh, had autism and stuff like that. But once again, it's high functioning. And um, I, I, I just wanted to break away from all that. And um, I, I very, you talked about my Atlantic monthly article and, Mm -hmm. and that is sort of a very father son kind of thing. And I, and I can do that, but I wanted to, I really wanted to have a, a piece of fiction that transcended all that stuff because I do feel I still I'm one of the few the that feels fiction transcends uh, above nonfiction and and it has this higher sort of um, power to it. Which oh. you sound like I'm a Scientologist, but no, I mean there, there's something There's <laughs> there, there's something there, and so I started exploring, you know, like uh, Greek. Greek stories and and um, <clears throat> in the Bible, and then I came across Isaac and Abraham, and um, the faith that a that a father has in his son and his son has in his father, and and there was just such a beauty in that story. And and um, <clears throat> you know he he takes his son and, and God just totally fucks with him and is like you know you know take your son and kill him and he's like okay and then you know halfway up he's like no I don't want you to do it haha you know and then and then Kierkegaard and then I read Kierkegaard Kierkegaard wrote Fear and Loathing, which Ironically, Hunter Thompson, you know, also sort of piggybacks on. um uh, Kierkegaard wrote a Fear and Loathing*, which is about Isaac and Abraham, and that whole that whole dynamic of of what is faith and what is trust and what is it like? What does it mean to love? What does it mean to to care for for your your child? And how far do you do that? And where does it end? And so I, I just I sort of latched onto that and. And through it all, I, I somehow came across the book *The Revenant*, and 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 I read it, and I was mm-hmm. like, "This is this is, it's not, it's weird. It's 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 one of those books that you read and you just you go right through it. And in the end, you're like, oh, it's over, you know, like mm-hmm. all that's so mm-hmm. sad. And and uh, and it's not like it's not like a great piece of literature by any sorts of means, but it's 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 a great book. It's just it's and and that to me, like I have these two categories of books, I have. Books that, that are really good but are hard to read, and books that are really easy to read but aren't that good. You know, like so like they're are top, but people are like, What's your favorite book? I'm like, well, it depends on what you ask. You know, like Larry McMurtry is one of my favorite writers. He's an easy to read, but he's not a great, he's not a great author. James Joyce is a great author, but he's not somebody I would just pick up to read. So I have these two categories. And you know, the revenant was way up there in that 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 great book that you just like you're just swept away and you just can't wait to sort of read it again. And I'm like, I want to do that. I want to write a book. <clears throat> and I wanted to have that sort of Isaac and Abraham feel where, where you have, uh, you know, you're sort of swept away with the book and you don't think twice about, about what's happening. And then by the end of it, you're like, boom, and it hits you. And you're like, Oh yeah. Like, that's what it's about. And and it sort of stays with you. But The whole, it's just the ride, you know, it's sort of the ride. And I had never written something like that. I didn't know how to write something like that because you know this, you go to graduate school and they teach you how to like write nice sentences, but they never teach you how to actually (laughs) write, right? Like, like, and this is something I I did want to talk to you about because I've been reading Lucia Berlin, who was your thesis advisor and I've just Mm -hmm. swept away. Like, she's like, sorry, not to digress, but there's this whole thing. One of her short stories about where she plays off of the whole Hemingway, you know, like what's the most tragic story ever written, you know, baby uh baby shoes for sale never worn, you know. And she has this whole thing where she's like baby died in crib. You know, and I'm like that's almost better than Hemingway. Like she 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 nailed Hemingway and then she turned it around. But anyway, so not to digress, but but <laughs> but you go to you go to graduate school and you learn how to write pretty sentences, but you never really learn how to tell a story, you know, because People like the storytellers are sort of poo-pooed. So when I read that, I was like, I want to do this. And I want to write something that has Isaac and Abraham in the mountain and, and survival. And, 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 and then I started reading about feral children and children that are dropped off in, in the forest. And, and then there was the, the, that book that came out about the hermit in Maine mm-hmm. who was sort of, sort of surviving. McCandless, I think it was his name, right? So we were sending that back and forth.
0: Oh, uh, into the wild or
1: into the, not into the wild, but it's, no. it's close to that. It's, it, it's that memoir about the uh, autobiography about the guy in Maine who, who went from house to house and was okay. a hermit, etc. So I started thinking a lot about like, you know, surviving. And then this also goes back to Ken Kesey, just, I'm, I'm, I'm associating here. So just mm-hmm. follow with me, but, um, you have, you have the, 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 The person who can't survive in an institution, but you have the child that can survive in nature and then. This goes to the whole, the whole Truffaut movie of like the, the mm-hmm. Wild Child, which is is a is an amazing movie if anybody's ever seen it. The, the cinematography and the story is just it's it, it's just beautiful, but it's about a feral child and they find this child in the wild and he's completely wild and they bring him in to to uh, society and they try and make him like a, a normal person again and it kills him, and and I think that's a lot of what Ken Kesey was going with too with with uh, uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest that there's just there's this thing like i feel like like my son too that if he if he wasn't forced to be in part of society he might actually do okay but it's that 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 edge of putting him into society and making him normal and stuff like that 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 ruins him in a way and and i wanted to sort of play with that so i came up with this idea of this this boy who oh this is another thing too there was a story in rolling stone about this father who he loved his son. He loved he was autistic. And his son would run off into the forest. And he would spend hours just having to hunt down his son in the forest. So he lives in this beautiful house and he had to get a job because he was running out of money. And, and I read a lot of stories about this for my book um, about parents who were single parents and just trying to survive. And so one day he tied up his son to a tree. His son liked to be tied up to a tree because autistic kids, they they, they like that pressure against their body. Right. And he tied it, he tied up his son to a tree and his son really liked it. And he was like, I like it. And he went to, this guy was like, okay, maybe this is the solution. You know, <laughs> I can go to work now. And, and oh, no. yeah, exactly. Not gonna he end well. Yeah. And so he, he started working again and his son, every day he would tie his son up around the tree and, and this went on for like a year, year and a half. And then one day somebody came and saw him called social services Rested the father, took the son away, put him in institution. The son died in institution, was beaten up to death. Mm. The father, you know, basically died of depression in jail, but they had this weird sort of thing working where the father's like, okay, we've got, it sounds barbaric, but you know, when your, your struggle with, with your house is going to be repossessed and you you have a child mm. that you want to take care of. And this is the solution that seems to sort of work. You know, you're like, okay, Let's try and make it. And and it was it was the most tragic story. So I used that in my book, and I used a lot of different things. And then I just wanted to sort of like make a story that where everybody who uh who is sort of an autistic child who 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 who's struggling with with this these issues of having a disabled person living with them and taking care of them, that they would understand. But then I also wanted a piece of fiction that transcended the, the biography or the autobiography it wasn't just mm-hmm. tied to a time and place that it was like the Isaac and Abraham. So. Yeah, Does that make
0: sense? yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm, I am uh pretty floored by the writing and it's different than any writing of yours that I have read in the past. And I've mentioned that, but um, you did have a pretty fantastic editor. Speaking of uh, the revenant, can you just in a, in a quick, blurb just like mention like how that came to be
1: um oh yeah so i didn't i'm sorry so i he um so i read the revenant and 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 i i was like wow this is really great and then uh and so i sought him out i was like oh who's the editor of this book and his it's like you know in the acknowledgements it said okay um i thanked him so and my editor so and so and so i googled him and then i saw <laughs> that he did free, he free he did freelance editing <clears throat> that's crazy yeah, and so I just reached out to him. I was like, "Hey," so he's like, "Yeah, I'll, I'll take you on." And 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 uh, this is my book. And and uh, to be honest, I mean, like a struggle, like <laughs> back and forth, <laughs> like and and the book was a hundred thousand words, and now it's I think forty thousand words. Oh my you know, gosh. so it it did it did not quite turn out the way. And then and then of course at Tori House, I had this amazing editor too, and she was, but I guess. The thing is that I think a lot of people don't realize now is that editors in publishing houses, I mean, people to realize writers don't understand this, that pub, editors in publishing houses are so busy doing other stuff. They're so busy like finding the niche, you know, finding the finding the marketing angle. Like their minds are totally taken with all these other things that the actual the the editing of a book, they they just they don't you don't have it, you know, and I have not had a really good editor. I mean, she's she. I've had good editors, but the focus, if you, you pay a little bit to somebody to edit your book, it's almost like, it's like, it's a learning experience. It's like, I, I sort of look at it as like taking a class, you know, like now I just, I, I did this book. I redid this book about when I'm at my time in my Peace Corps in Armenia
2: and I worked mm-hmm. with an editor
1: and she read my book and, and, and she gave me all sorts of feedback and I'm going through it. And for me, it's, it's like such a great investment because I'm learning so much from her. And it's a whole world that I never would have explored um, and I never would have thought about with my own writing. And she's mm-hmm. like, well, how about try and do this here and try and do this here and do this here. And then you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And as long as you go with it and you trust it, And you put your research into it beforehand beforehand, you know with someone you really want to learn from it's like taking a good college class you know Hmm. and it changes you as a writer so
0: i like that writing is rewriting (laughs) (laughs) my pearl (laughs) wisdom for the day moving on (laughs) um (laughs) Let's, uh, let's wrap it up here. I know I can't, I'm going to have you back on the show. I'm excited, uh, that we've reconnected now that you're back in the States and we haven't even really even touched on that, but, um, let's talk about, let's just, (laughs) let's go back. Let's aim for your advice to, to fellow writers, but I'm going to go back to, um, this fantastic book to the mountain, which steeped in the harsh and breathtaking winter of colorado's rocky mountains to the mountains an absorbing tale of sacrifice hope and the bond between father and son an empathetic addition to the literature of the west uh couldn't have put it better myself but um yeah i'm gonna point at your home base there eric it's spelled a little bit different so i'll drop it in the show notes e-r-i-k-r-a-s-c-h-k-e.com and then, uh, of course, you're on Facebook. And is there anywhere else you want to connect with writers, uh, readers, listeners before we uh, wrap with your advice to your fellow scribes?
1: No, just write me. I love to get emails and contacts through Facebook, but I mean emails about questions and stuff like that. I mean, you know, is being a writer is such a isolated experience, and then yeah. it's it's just it's wonderful to connect with people and
0: you know talk to people. So we have any? I mean, we could we could do probably a whole episode on isolation. Um, <laughs> um, based on your experiences and my experiences in this book, uh, but yeah, um, of course, I'm going to ask you a fun one: If you could have dinner with any author from any era to your favorite place in the world, but I'm not paying; you are paying. Who would you take? Where would you take them? Go. Okay,
1: bro. This is a no-brainer.
0: <laughs> this is <laughs> <laughs> you've been you've been thinking about this.
1: No, it's a no-brainer. I thought about it for a hot second. Literally. <laughs> I would take Marcel Proust to Casa Bonita.
0: Okay. Denver listeners. Denver Denver right. Previous post to Denver. What's a what's a Denver expatriate? Proust to Casa Bonita. I'm writing that down. That is my favorite answer of all time casa bonita is the worst mexican restaurant in the world um but they have uh cliff divers they have a whole like pool set up where they do like a cliff diving exposition every hour on the hour um but the food will make you quite sick okay but this is my whole theory okay so
1: i love marcel Proust. like i i i I love bruce like he's one of my favorite writers but Proust is all about like, he's like, he believes that the writer is sort of the interpreter and that the reader, if you're, if you're a good interpreter that you're, as a reader, you, you, what the writer is writing about that you as a reader will sort of, um, you will, you'll be affected by it through the, through the, so the the writer is like a medium. But what Mm -hmm. I was thinking is like, I would love to watch Proust watch the cliff divers in that Gross, disgusting! Like perp, like that bluish water, you know. That's like that looks like the stuff, like <laughs> food they, that coloring. They put, yeah, they put in your nose. You know, just watch him. <laughs> and I bet if he really tried to write that down, like if he tried to just really put that into words, he would explode. <laughs> like it would be like something like from like Monty Python. Like he would just <laughs> like because <he, laughs> it's beautiful. Like you have all uh... these Denver people just watching cliff divers eating bad Mexican food like yeah. i can't
0: i cannot overstate how bad the food is sorry casa bonita i don't even know if casa bonita is open still i should have used that i should have i should have led with that on the show um but casa bonita it's uh denver landmark denver landmark Whole okay your 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 advice to writers on how to how to keep the faith man this is a tough time in history but uh yeah what do you think um how to keep the ink flowing. Go.
1: How to keep the ink flowing?
0: Or the cursor moving. Sorry. What era is this? <laughs> I still use a pen. <laughs> Asshole.
1: Or according to your, your <laughs> intro, for your, your thing, you use a typewriter. Did you did, did you see that, that that YouTube meme of the guy that was in a lecture hall on a typewriter? Like no. there's, a guy, <laughs> there's this huge lecture hall and there's this guy giving a lecture and there's this guy on his typewriter typewriter.
0: <laughs> I love that. Like an electric typewriter or like a.
1: No, just like a a manual. (laughs) It's really loud. This this professor's trying to speak. I'm like, I love it. (laughs) I can watch that every time I feel bad about something. I just watch that and I guess.
0: Uh, We won't find a link to that one. Um.
1: (laughs) No, I guess, you know, being a, being a writer, like, and, and keeping the info, you know, for me, it's just. Going for long walks and reading lots of books and 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 yeah and occasionally just getting drunk you know like it's just these <laughs> it's, it's you know this you and I go for hikes all the time and talk about books and I mean just reading 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 like nobody reads anymore there's I, I've been teaching writing now for thirteen years I can't tell you how many writers people who take writing classes are like I don't read I'm like oh, but, but but <laughs> how? how I don't, what, like, what are you talking about you don't read like you want to be a writer but you don't read like how can you like you have to like have this voracious appetite for reading books you know and, and love books and you have to marry books you know it's it's you have to you have to put the you have to step into it you know so yeah It's not very creative or original. I understand that, but that's 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 I
0: I think I think you nailed the the big three walking, reading, getting drunk. It's like blood, sweat, and tears, man. Yeah. Oh, Eric Rashke, it's been a a pleasure and I'm gonna have you back, as I mentioned, because we might have to make this a uh, a recurring series, but you're gonna get you're gonna fix that microphone that you dropped on the floor.
1: Yes, yes, that's amazing. <laughs> I borrowed my son because my son's really into DJing, and I, I dropped, I broke my son's microphone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: you can, okay, go go to sweetwater.com. You'll have one in two days. Um, they have microphones of all qualities. and I'm, I'm sure gonna have you to can
1: tell him after this podcast, I'm going to go into his room and say, I
0: broke your microphone. So. Oh, man, he's not going to be happy. <laughs> Sorry, Cass. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's Kelton's fault. <laughs> I'm gonna close with one final memory. I think we went camping somewhere in Rocky Mountain National Park during elk mating season. I do yeah, not, this I do fun. not recommend oh, that's this. Amazing. Folks, I love that story. <laughs> <laughs> we're in a camp, we're we're hunkered down for the night. We're uh, who we're just out in the middle of nowhere, uh, not like an established campsite or anything. Eric's like, ah, oh, we're just gonna hike up here and just like. Throw down our tents and like a light of fire and hang out. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not sure if that's the best. Okay. Yeah. Let's do it, man. You know, we got to, you know, our whiskey and whatever. And we're up there. And then as soon as it gets dark and there's just like that bugle, you know, the elk, is it a trumpeting sound, a bugling sound, whatever it is. And the elk are mating. It's mating season. And we are not welcome. (coughs) We are, (laughs) we are. Basically considered competition. I don't know, but they were gonna trample that tent.
1: Those fucking things are huge. They're they are huge, gigantic.
0: <laughs> you do not want to be in a tent <laughs> in a tent during elk mating season. And it was like a bright, bright orange or bright yellow. You know, whatever you know, whatever color they don't like. That really happened. <laughs> it was so scary. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of The Writer Files. And if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe to the show and leave us a rating or a review to help other writers out there find us. You can always leave a comment or a question and visit the entire archives at writerfiles.fm. And you can chat with me on Twitter at Kelton Reed. Cheers. Talk to you next week.
1: I say a memory now of course you can mute it you can just edit it out I'll delete
0: it i'll edit it <laughs>
1: <laughs> and i realized that, that all bets were off in the world you know like all boundaries all walls were dropped like, like you know, <laughs> it was an eye-opener for me like yeah this is this was a momentous
0: I just snorted. <laughs> and I think that's a great place. <laughs> right.
1: And I remember you I remember just lying there. I remember it so clearly.
0: Yeah, deal with it. <laughs> oh shit! That's good. Well, you know, you're welcome. It wasn't those. It wasn't all those philosophy. Books, it was me and just
1: walking like, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, hey
0: you know <laughs> what's gonna happen what you what are they gonna arrest me
1: <laughs> that's the best part you can do that shit you know like...
0: <laughs> oh i'm crying okay i'm gonna stop the recording now <laughs> i am literally crying <laughs>